Welcome to the Vineyard Northridge Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by our senior pastor, Neil Haney. For more information about our church, visit our website at vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge. Recently, because of an experience I had in ministering to someone, I took this person as I do anytime I do uh, what I call and what uh, those I've learned from have called integrated healing, where uh, we're healing memories, we're casting out demonic parasites, we're, we're healing, uh, uh, we're doing physical healing, and uh, also just helping people get free of their guilt from sin. Uh, we have a ministry of absolving people from sin, saying, you've confessed your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And those things go hand in hand. And, and so, uh, in doing this with, actually it was my sister, uh, about a month ago, uh, she got free, healed, and um, one of the things that happens, or one of the things I do during, during those ministry times is that I bring a person into a safe place in their mind. I have them close their eyes and, and just picture being in a safe place with the Lord and, and invite the Lord's presence. So invite Jesus to come into that situation. And then Jesus takes the person back into the memories. Uh, he does what Jesus does. He says what Jesus says. And I've never seen it fail to work uh, that, that Jesus uh, heals uh, the person. And my sister... Um, is 52 years old. She's had a lifetime of, of pain and uh, woundedness and abuse. And uh, she's, in, she's a new woman. She's a different woman. But one of the byproducts, and, and it's really not a byproduct, it's actually one of the chief things that happened in that encounter was that she encountered the reality of Jesus in her safe place. And so instead of going to bed every night thinking of all the ways that she's failed and screwed up and messed up and failed her son and, uh, you know, all the terrible things that she's done in her life, which the enemy would just pound her with. It's part of the healing is to stop that pounding, stop that condemnation. Was that she, um, in encountering Jesus in safe place, she actually experienced his presence and his relationship for really the first time. Like, she was saved as a teenager when I was a youth pastor in, in a church in Arkansas, but but she never had a, a real solid connection with Jesus. And it was in her safe place, in that healing, that she encountered Jesus. And, um, and so as she began to tell me after, you know, days and weeks following that ministry time about the things that Jesus was saying to her, and that at night she would go to sleep, like in his arms, talking with him in her safe place, I got a little jealous of that. I'm like, man, I... I enjoy journaling, and, and I feel like, you know, I talk to the Lord, and I, I believe he talks to me. But she was actually encountering him in, in, in a face-to-face. And the things that she said he was saying to her, was it was Jesus. I could tell it was. In fact, at one point, he even said, Amy, trust me, this is really Jesus, not just a figment of your imagination. I'm really your Savior. I'm really your Lord. Uh, this is really me. And so uh, at the end of, of last year, I put put my journal aside and just began to sit in his presence and invite him in. And she's got a better imagination than I do, but I started this journey of relationship with him where 
I was beginning to really, I mean, I have been really encountering him. And what's really interesting is that I've, I've begun to develop more of a friendship with Jesus. I, I, I've really started to love him more because he's a person. And he's a person that we can have a real relationship with. And, and so uh, I don't know why it's taken me so long to get to this place. But um, there's a story in, um, I believe it's, yeah, it's in Luke about these two sisters, Martha and Mary. And Martha is trying to serve Jesus, and she's trying to fix lunch, and she's trying to clean the house, and she's trying to do all this stuff so that he'll have a good experience while he's in her home. But her sister Mary just sits in his presence and listens to his voice, and Martha gets very frustrated with her sister because she's just sitting around listening to Jesus. And she actually complains to Jesus, said, tell Mary to get off her duff and get up and help me. And Jesus says, Martha... Martha, Mary has chosen the better way. I want a relationship with you. Not just you doing everything. And Jesus actually told me that last Sunday night. After Mark preached, after Mark uh, Callie preached last Sunday, uh, you'll, you can go online and listen to that message. But I was really struck by some things that led me to go into his presence and hear him say to me, You're always asking for things that have an end result. I just want a relationship. And it's interesting, when Jesus comes to earth as God, he's he's coming looking for a relationship. He hates religion. He loves people. In fact, I'm so encouraged by the people that he loved. He, He just... He just seemed to have such a, a drawing to the, the, the failures and the losers and the outcasts and the sinners and the rebels and the commoners and the clueless, like Peter, and the rejects of every level of society. He just seemed to be drawn to people that were broken. And I'm so, I'm so thankful for that because my sister was broken. She was a one of the spirits I cast out of her was a just a shame. It was it was the toughest spirit to get rid of. It fought me for three minutes, refused to leave. Actually said through her mouth, "I've been here too long. I'm not leaving." I said, oh, yeah. "Yes, you are, because I have authority to command you to leave and get out." And it left after three minutes. It choked her and all this kind of stuff. But it left, but. Her life has been so filled with addiction and, and, and things that she was just ashamed of. She was a cocaine addict for 10 years. She doesn't mind me telling you this. She, she tells her story all over the place. But Jesus delivered her from that years ago. But now she's get, getting rid of all the baggage. But, but it just seems like Jesus is drawn to people that are broken. He calls his disciples a tax collector, total outcast. Stinky fishermen who had been passed over by the rabbi seminary professors for training in their rabbinical school in Jerusalem. And not only was Jesus drawn to them, but the helpless and the hopeless and the demonized and the lepers and the blind and the, and, and, and the dregs of society seemed to be just absolutely drawn to him like a moth to a porch light. 
He's, I mean, anywhere you would find Jesus, you would find sinners just flocking to Jesus. And he loved these folks. He loved these folks. He loved them. You know, the woman caught in adultery, the woman at the well, the, uh, you know, he, he just seemed to just love bad people. <laughs> but what did he see in them that drew him to them? And, and what does he see in us that draws him to us? Because trust me, he is, he is hopelessly in love with each one of you. He really, really is. And, and I'm discovering this at a personal level like I've never discovered before. You know, it's easy to say, yes, God loves me. He loves everybody. I'm sure he loved that off Hitler, but, but that didn't really change anything, right? But to know that Jesus really wants a personal friendship with you. When he says, come to me, and I will give you rest. Come to me and learn from me. And sit with me and be with me and be yoked with me. My burden is easy. My, my, yoke is, uh, my burden is light. My yoke is easy. Be yoked with me. Pull with me. Work with me. Be with me. He wants a relationship. He wants a relationship with us because why does he, why does he care? Why did he die for us? Why did he die for you? Because he sees us. He saw them and he sees you and me as what we were created to be. And like the story of the son who, uh, in Jesus' parable of the prodigal son, as we call it, in, John, or in Luke 15, this kid took his inheritance, ran away from home, only to return home to his father, a failure, a loser, having squandered all his father's wealth that he gave him on his way out. But all his dad saw when he returned home was his beloved son, whom he reestablished as a son instantly giving him his robe, giving him sandals on his feet, putting the family signet ring on his finger, which was the family credit card, the business card, the credit card for the family. He restored him to full sonship immediately and then threw a party for him because all he saw was his son, his beloved son. And I have great news for you this morning. That's what he sees when he looks at you and me. Let me see if this works. So the title of the message this morning is Conformed to His Likeness. Because see, what Jesus sees in you, what Jesus saw in you when you were saved, what Jesus sees in in people, wherever they are, however broken they are, however addicted they are, however sinful they are, is that He sees someone that He wants to take and make like Himself. And so we all who know Jesus, who who have the Spirit of Christ in us, are being conformed to his likeness. And that's a really big deal. And I want to explain why this morning. So I'm going to pick up, and this is Romans 8, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, especially in the New Testament. The mature children of God are those who are moved by the impulses of the Holy Spirit. Well, let me just explain that right now. Um, my, my son Wes, who led worship this morning, um, was doing the same thing on our couch in our living room in, um, on North Limestone when he was five years old. He was standing on the couch. He had a plastic 
mic stand, plastic microphone, and a guitar I'd made out of wood on my scroll saw. And he was leading worship. And he made my, my daughter, Lindsay, play the keyboards or whatever it was. And, and, you know, I come in the room and here he is standing on the couch leading worship. He's five years old. He's a child. He's playing like. But this morning, anointed worship leader leading us in worship, doing the same thing only in reality. You understand that mature children are different than little kids, little, or little children. I loved Wes when he was five years old. I, was, I adored him. But now he's, he's actually doing what he was playing like then. God wants to mature us. And, and so he puts his spirit in us and he, he gives us impulses to, to do the things of God, to do the things of the kingdom, to live like Jesus. And so you and I can be mature children of God because the spirit of God lives in us and gives us impulses to do the things of God and to f- fulfill his will just like Jesus did when he was on earth because God is making us just like Jesus. That's the point. So I just want to say this real quick. If you've received the Spirit of of Christ Jesus, you are a child of God. And that is a big deal. Because you're as much a child of God as Jesus is. You're as much a child of the Father as Jesus is. And that's what Paul goes on to say here in Romans. He says, you did not receive the spirit of religious duty. (laughs) But you, that, that leads you back into the fear of never being good enough. You know, guys, there was a time when we weren't good enough before we met Jesus. We were sinners. We were broken. We were, we were destined to destruction. Go back and read Ephesians 2 where it talks about how we were, were children of wrath, destined to destruction because we were rebelling against God in every way possible. And we hated God and we were running from God. But when we've come to Christ, what happens, as Mark taught last week, is God didn't just want to change us a little bit, just make us a better version of ourselves. When we come to Christ, we begin to experience the the, the fact that we died with Christ, we were buried with Him, and we rose with Him to live a new life in the Spirit. Whatever we were before we came to Christ is dead. And now we're new creatures. That's what 2 Corinthians 5 says. The oldest passed away, the newest come. Whatever was before, whatever you were before, is dead, and now you're a new person with a new spirit. And so we don't ever have to have a fear of not being good enough because we're in Jesus now, and he's made us new. And so you're a child of God, and you're good enough in Christ. Christ makes you good enough. You never have to worry about falling short because you're good enough in Christ. And then he says, but you've received the spirit of full acceptance enfolding you into the family of God. You know what the family of God is? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And you and I have been welcomed into that circle in the family. God had one and only Son, but as we're going to see at the end of this passage, now we're brothers and sisters of that one and only Son. And we're being made to be just like him. God wanted a big family. And so, uh, you're good enough in Christ, and you're accepted into God's family. That is huge. That is so huge. I hope that your heart can embrace this.
I hope that you can really come to see this for what it is. Because this is so important that we get this. Guys, we're talking about our identity here. We're talking about who we actually are. If you have seen yourself as worthless, inferior, as um, too sinful, uh, too many Christians see themselves as, I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. You know, just an old sinner. I'm no different than anybody else. I'm just saved. That's not true. You're new. You have the Spirit of Christ in you. And you're being conformed to the image of Jesus. And so you're good enough. You're accepted in God's family. And you will never feel orphaned. For the Holy Spirit rises up within you. And your spirit is joined with the Spirit in saying the words of tender affection, Beloved Father. We get to call God our Father because the Spirit is in us. Jesus told his disciples, when you pray, say, Father, Papa in heaven. Go ahead and call him Father because he's your Father. The first thing that he told Mary, or Mary at the tomb to tell uh, Jesus' disciples after his resurrection, go tell my brothers, go tell my brothers that I'm returning to my God, their God, my Father, their Father. He has made us children and therefore we have a father. And we're no longer orphans. I have a friend who, who uh, goes to India once or twice a year on mission trips, takes groups with him, and he talks about places like Calcutta. Uh, and he says that the, the orphan problem is epidemic there. In, in fact, it's endemic, which means it's an ongoing epidemic. And he says that, that the orphans in Calcutta and other, these, uh, other big cities in India... The orphans, you walk out on the street in the morning and they're just laying on the sidewalk, just side by side like cordwood, just as far as you can see. Four, five, six-year-olds, seven-year-olds without parents. Can you imagine what that feels like? The fear, the helplessness, the hopelessness, the vulnerability, the, you know, just living every moment hoping that you would have enough to eat to live the next day, sleeping on the street, on the sidewalk. I can't imagine what it would feel like to be an orphan like that. And sometimes I meet Christians who feel like orphans. They don't feel like they're ever going to be good enough. They don't feel like they're, they, they have a lot of fear. They have a lot of hopelessness. They feel helpless. They feel abandoned by God. And, and the Spirit's in us, trying to tell us that that's not true of us anymore. And so the Spirit joins our spirit in saying with tender affection, Papa, Father, God, I love you, I need you. We can do that. If you have the Spirit of God, you can do that. You can call Him Father. You're good enough, you're accepted, you're not an orphan, but God is your beloved Father, your beloved Father. Man, that's just, that's good news. That's really good news. The Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood real to us as he whispers into our innermost being, you are God's beloved child. I want you to hear that for yourself this morning. You are God's beloved child. He's saying that to you. He's saying that straight to your heart this morning. You're God's beloved child. And since we are God's true children, we qualify to share in all his treasures. For indeed, we are heirs of God himself. 
What's really cool about this is that, um, uh, generally speaking, when you become an heir and you inherit your father or your mother's or both, you, you inherit their, their wealth, whatever they have, your inheritance, they have to die first. We have a, a father who will never die, but yet he wants to give us everything anyway. And I want to say this for the record because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be kind of talking about this back and forth as I go through the rest of my message. But there's an already but not yet kind of aspect to everything in the kingdom of God. Everything in this life as a Christian, there's an already but not yet. I have been saved. I am being saved. I will be saved. I, I was given life. I'm being given life. I will be given life eternally. Does that make sense? Like, I'm experience, I experienced something back here when I got saved. I'm still experiencing something now. But when I get to heaven, when I get to, well, I say to heaven, it's actually when, when time ends and, and I inhabit the new earth with the Father and the Son and the Spirit and all my brothers and sisters, it's going to be glorious. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be so much better than it is now. But, guys, we can experience a lot of goodness right here and right now. We can experience a lot of glory right here and right now. And so there, there are going to be phrases that you're going to see that talk about some future thing, but it's also happening now too. And I'll point those out. Does that make sense? There's an already, but not yet. Like, like you and I have been uh, born again, we've been raised from the dead, but our bodies haven't yet experienced that. It says in in, uh, 2 Corinthians 4, we have this treasure of the Holy Spirit in earthen vessels. But we still have this treasure. And so God has given us everything. In Ephesians 1, it says he's given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, already ours, on our account. All we have to do is draw from that. It's like he's deposited $10 million in our checking account, and all we have to do is draw on that when we need the money. And yet we'll experience the fullness of that when we get to heaven or we get to the new earth. And since we are joined to Christ, we also inherit all that he is and all that he has. We get both. <laughs> we get all that he is. What is he? He's God. We are going to share in his divinity as his children, as his brothers and sisters, as God's children, as Jesus' brothers and sisters, as his bride. We get to share everything that he is and all that he has. We were created in the image and likeness of God to share in his godness, to share in his deity, not as initiators, not as as the source of deity, but we get to participate in his his divinity, in in his godness. Because he's chosen to share that with us. To the point that Jesus tells his disciples in John 14, 15, 16, 17, I and my Father are going to come in the Spirit and we're going to live inside of you. And you're going to live inside of us and we're going to be one. Second Peter 1 says that we get to participate here and now in his divine nature. It's amazing. It's not, it, I, I actually had someone leave the church over that. They thought I was being way too uh, uh, 
you know, you're saying that we're God. I'm saying that we can participate in God's godness because he created us to be that way. When he breathed life into Adam, he breathed his spirit into Adam and gave him life. And Adam, Adam walked away from that. But Jesus has come and given us the chance to experience that again. And this is what we're talking about. Since we are joined to Christ, we inherit all that he is here and now and in the future and all that he has here and now and in the future. There's a, there's a now, there's an already, but there's a not yet here. We will experience being co-glorified with him, provided that we accept his sufferings as our own, that we participate in his sufferings. Now, guys, I, w- I want to clarify this. In this life, Jesus said, you will have tribulation. But he says, look, I- I've overcome the world. Don't worry about the-, the problems. Don't worry about the troubles, because I've overcome all this. And um, there are times that we are called on to suffer. Don't pray for suffering. Don't pursue suffering. But when suffering comes, endure it as a soldier. Endure it with Jesus. And, and just participate in his sufferings. Trusting him. Trusting the Father. Casting our burdens on him. Going to him. Uh, I, I, last night I was on the way home from a from my, uh, one of my pastor, a vineyard pastor friends uh, retired, and they had a retirement party in Marysville. And I'm on my way home, and I started praying, and I, I was sharing something heavy with the Lord, and I was like, I need, and I caught myself, and I'm like, ah, I'm always needing something from you. And he's like, yeah, exactly. He's like, that's what I'm here for. He said, I would rather you take your needs to me than anybody else. I'm here because you need me. I created you to need me. So don't worry about it. So if we're suffering and we need his help in suffering, that's cool. He's all right with that. In fact, that's what he wants. He wants us to lean on him in our weakness. In fact, we're going to see that. But I'm convinced, Paul says, that any suffering we endure, any suffering we endure is less than nothing compared to the magnitude of the glory that is about to be unveiled within us. There's an already but not yet aspect of this too. God is about to do three things in his church. And guys, this is prophetically, I'm seeing this and I believe this with all my heart. And I'm not the only voice saying this. But God is, the acronym for me is PUG. PUG, P-U-G. God is purifying his church. God is unifying his church. And God is uh, glorifying his church. Purifying, unifying, and glorifying. That's what he's doing. And I'll talk about that probably next week some. But Paul says, I'm convinced that any suffering we endure now is less than nothing compared to the magnitude of the glory that is about to be unveiled within us. I believe that God is doing a work purifying his church and unifying his church so that he can release his glory in and through his church. Again, Isaiah 60, verses 1 through 5. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. Darkness is over the earth, and thick darkness is over the people. But my glory rises upon you, and kings will be drawn to the light of your dawning. Implying a new day is coming. I believe a new day is coming for God's church. Where we will be unified and purified and begin to reflect and reveal God's glory. To the earth. And it says sons and daughters will, will come from afar. 
And, and you, you will watch this happening as kings are drawn to your, the dawning of your, your light and sons and daughters are streaming to you. Your heart will throb and swell with joy. I believe we're going to see that. That day is coming and I don't believe it's long off. But there's a glory that's going to be revealed with, that's about to be uh, unveiled within us. The light shining through us and out of us, just like happened on the Mount of Transfiguration when the glory of God shone through Christ's face and shone through his clothing to the point his face looked like the sun and his clothing looked like lightning. What he was inside, that treasure in that earthen vessel was being released. His glory was for a moment being released. I believe that's coming for the church. The entire universe, this is how important you and I are. As his people, as his children created in his image, the entire universe is standing on tiptoe, yearning to see the unveiling of God's glorious sons and daughters. Already happening, will happen fully in the new earth. The, the earth will be, ultimate, be ultimately released from its death and decay all the stuff that's happening in the world, all the you know, uh, upheaval with earthquakes and, and storms and, and fires and all the stuff will come to an end and the earth will be set free from death and the animals will be set free from death and nature will be set free from death and the universe is standing on tiptoe yearning to see that, yearning to see the unveiling of God's glory, sons and daughters because when we're unveiled and revealed, then the earth will be renewed. It'll be made new. That's what's coming. You are destined to be a glorious heir of God. That's your destiny. That's your destiny. A glorious heir of God. This is the gospel. This is really, really, really good news. Because our hope is set on what is yet to be seen, we patiently wait for its fulfillment. So we're we're waiting. We're waiting. But it's coming. And the Holy Spirit takes hold of us in our human frailty and empowers us in our weakness. I love that, man. The Holy Spirit's inside of me. I can't tell you how weak I've felt this weekend. Weekend. W-E-E-K, not W-E-A-K. But it felt like a W-E-A-K weekend for me. I was exhausted when I got home last night. I was exhausted when I woke up this morning. I feel good right now. But the Holy Spirit is empowering me. I didn't know if I was going to be able to stand up this morning, let alone preach. But, um, but he takes hold of our human frailty. We're still in a fallen body that's wearing out. Paul says, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. There's a, there's a renewal happening inside of us in spite of our outward struggles with the aging process. God, the searcher of the heart, knows fully our longings. And we, as, as his children now, we have new longings. We have better longings than we had before we came to know him and came to have his spirit within us. Yet he also understands the desires of the spirit. And as we mature together, as we, as we grow up in Christ and become mature sons and daughters, our longings and his desires become very much the same. They become parallel with each other. In fact, it's hard to discern whether it's just our longing or the Spirit's longing or both mixed together because we're wanting the same things. 
Because the Holy Spirit passionately pleads before God for us in perfect harmony with God's plan and our destiny. Man, that is such good news. The Spirit of God, God the Spirit, is inside of us. And he's, he's expressing his longings and our longings to God. And as he prays those things, he prays them in perfect harmony with what God wants for us and what God has for us. Is that good news to you? The Spirit is praying to the Father for our for God's plan for us and, and his destiny for us. Do you think God's going to say yes to those prayers? I, I think so. You know, later on, I'm not going to get there, but later on at, at the end of the chapter in Romans 8, it says that the Son lives to make intercession for us. In other words, our high priest Jesus, the Son of God, sits at the right hand of the Father and prays to the Father for us too. So the Spirit's praying for us and the Son's praying for us to the Father. And I guarantee you that God will say yes to their prayers. It's coming, folks. It's coming. So we are convinced that every detail of our lives, this is that precious Romans 8.28 in the Passion Translation. This is a Passion Translation. So we're convinced that every detail of our lives is continually woven together to fit into God's perfect plan of bringing good into our lives. All our lives, he has been faithful. All our lives, he's been so, so good to us. And he's a, he's, I will sing of the goodness of God. That's all he wants for us. And he takes everything in our lives, the good, the bad, the ugly, and somehow weaves them into a pattern of what's best for us. To bring good into our lives. For we are his lovers who have been called to fulfill his design purpose. Now, I want to I leave Romans for a second just to, to, to show you a, a parallel passage in, um, in uh, Ephesians 2. Verse 10, for we are God's masterpiece. Each one of us are a masterpiece. And he has created us anew in Christ. We're new and we're in Christ by the Holy Spirit. So we can do the good things he's planned for us long ago. Guys, my hope as your pastor is that I I can lead us as we move ahead uh, through the rest of our lives as a church body and as individuals that belong to Christ, as his sons and daughters, as as God's sons and daughters and Jesus' brothers and sisters, that we can fulfill the good things that God has planned for us before time. You have a calling on your life. You have things that God wants to accomplish through you. That is better than anything that you've ever asked or imagined or thought of. God wants to do some amazing things through your life. And I'm convinced he's going to do it. I I don't get paid enough to lie to you. I, I would not stand up here before God and teach his word and lie to you. God has great plans for each of you. He wants to produce fruit through each one of you. And I'll tell you, where it starts is relationship. Sunday night, he said to me, Neil, I love your prayers, and I love what you're saying to me, but there's one thing wrong with what you're saying. And I'm like, well, what do you mean there's something wrong with what I'm saying? He's like, everything that you're saying is about the end goal of doing something, accomplish something, for, even though it's for my father, his will, and you know, good things and fruit and all that. But he says, you're looking 
over my shoulder at what I can accomplish through you. But what I want is right here. I want a relationship with you. I want a relationship with you. All that other stuff will follow. I want you. He wants you. He wants a relationship with you. He wants a face-to-face, intimate relationship with you, a friendship where you and he sit together and talk together and dream together and scheme together and plan together, and he will reveal these things to you if you do that. Does that make sense? Guys, this is awesome stuff. For he knew all about you before you were born. And he destined you from the beginning to share in the likeness of his son. He wants you to look just like Jesus. This means the son is the oldest among a vast family of brothers and sisters who will become just like him. 1 John 4.17 As Jesus is, so are we on this earth. So are we in this world. As Jesus is, so are we in this world. We're supposed to look just like Jesus. We're supposed to be just like Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is at work in you you to make you just like Jesus. Having determined our destiny ahead of time, God called us to himself and transferred his perfect righteousness to everyone he called. If you belong to Christ, then you are perfectly righteous. I don't care if you struggle sometimes with sin. You're a saint who sometimes sins, not a sinner saint, you know. That, it, anyway, <laughs> he's transferred his perfect righteousness to you. And those who possess his perfect righteousness, he co-glorified. Now he's talking about glorified. Before he said we will be glorified. Now he says we, he has glorified us with his son. There's an already of his glory and there's a, a not yet to his glory. What he wants to do is he wants to release that glory in you and through you. And he's going to. I'm convinced of it. And so you're being made to be just like Jesus and to carry his glory and to reveal his glory. I want to show you what Romans 8 8, and 29 look like in the New American Standard. This is the Bible I cut my teeth on as a Christian, but I love the way it says this. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. You love God? You're called according to His purpose? He's causing all things to work together for your good. For those He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. Love that. He's predestined you to become conformed to the image of Jesus so that He would be the firstborn among many brothers. So here it is. This is a summary. You're His masterpiece. You are a child of God if you believe in Jesus and have his spirit. You are destined to be a glorious heir of God here and in the age to come. And you're being made to be just like Jesus. That's the truth, guys. That's the truth. This is, this is good news. This is the gospel. This is about you and me. You can believe this. You can believe it because it's the truth of his word. I just showed you his word. It's true. His word is truth. And the truth sets us free to become all that God wants us to be. 
If you're a man, you're a prince. If you're a woman, you're a princess. And you're not playing make-believe like a little child with her mother's dress and high heels on. You're a princess. Guys, you're princes. You walk through this world as a prince. I don't care what your station in life is. You're a prince. Act like it. Live like it. Believe it. We're royalty. You're royalty. You're, you're, an, you're an heir of God and co-heir with Christ. My goodness, that's, that's incredible. Let's pray. Now just keep your eyes closed. I want to read something from my devotional book, The Divine Romance. I just want to read this real quick. You have been granted access to the Holy of Holies, the chamber of the King, the very presence of God Himself. When you choose to worship the Lord and turn your attention to Him, you're accepting His invitation for deeper relationship. You're stepping into His heart. Here Jesus will reveal His glory in this place where deep calls to deep and the spiritual and the natural realms collide. You were created to experience heaven on earth. It's the place of His presence here and now where He discloses Himself to the seeking heart. Unlike the courtyard where you learned about the Lord, the chamber is where you get to know Him personally, the the Holy of Holies. This is His desire for every believer to walk through the doors to the Holy of Holies where He awaits for you to enjoy Him forever. And here's the prayer, and I'm going to pray this over you, and I just invite the ministry team to come on up. Jesus, lead me by the hand into the secret place of your presence. We want to see you and hear you and experience the beauty of your redeeming grace. We're not satisfied with just glimpses of your glory. We want to dive into the very depths and never resurface. Flood our souls with the substance of your holy love. Thank you for lifting the veil so that we may enter in. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more information about our church, visit vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge.